I pray that you would, that they would hear your voice and the voice that sang a lullaby over them at the moment of their creation. And you haven't stopped singing it for them since. I pray they would hear that and that you would continue to raise up the people that would be allies, that when they reach out, they would be received and believed. Oh, that's a big one. I pray, especially in the church community, God, that we would receive and believe the people that reach out and disclose that they are in a situation of abuse. Hey there, welcome to the Pocket Pulpit. I'm your co-host Hector, and today I'm joined by my co-host Sarah. Hey, hey. And today we've got a friend of the show, Lisa Congo. Hey, how's it going? That's going well. Good. Uh, how are you doing today, Lisa? Good. I just got my booster. So hey, yeah. Hey, hey. Boosted. Hopefully, I don't fall asleep halfway through. We'll see how this goes. Moving <laughs> 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 around. It, it'll be like any normal conversation, right? Um, hey, so Lisa, just uh, as we, we're honestly, I'm so excited to talk with you and, and just kind of uh, the episode we have lined out today, the conversation. Um, but for our listeners at home on their drive, maybe hanging out on their couch during uh, quarantine, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. So I am a, uh, I run a women's shelter in Calgary. Um, in Alberta and Canada. And uh, I am also an auntie to six awesome human beings. And my parents and I live together. And uh, yeah, and I don't know what else you want, <laughs> you want to know, but those are the basic important things about me. So yeah. Did you, you want a, more details? <laughs> you got a cat, right? I have two cats. Yep. Sunny and Turtle. They'll be thrilled that they made it into this if they don't get edited out. <laughs> no, animals, animals are friends of the show. We, nice. we love, we've had a few animals on the show. So, um, hey, Lisa, what, uh, you know, we talk a lot about social media on the show and just kind of be using social media as a ministry tool. And so can you tell us what platforms you're on and what your preferred platform is? Sure. Yeah. So I am on uh, Facebook and Twitter. I have an Instagram, but I don't actually entirely know how to log into it. <laughs> if you look for me there, I will not be active. Um, Twitter is my preferred and you can find me at at Lisa Congo on Twitter. And I'm pretty active on there. Mm, pretty active. I think that's pretty, like all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Little addicted. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yes. I mean, Twitter is where we know you from, where I know you from. And just, mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about uh, how people got connected. Our first episode really breaks that down of this weird Christian Twitter group that formed and, and just kind of blew up over the last couple of years. And uh, that's how I got connected with you. And now mm-hmm. I'm in a, a DM group with you and Sarah as well. And so, that's that's what I remember, like, honestly, just the the chaos of Twitter and the, the churning of, of all of it. Uh, but I remember just watching the, the way that you interacted and it was just 
I honestly think it was the After Dark, which I don't know if we want to talk about that, but I think After I think Dark that's is how we spicy. got. It. Yeah, I think that's how we really started getting connected. So, uh, anyway, Sarah, how did how did you I meet know Lisa? How I connected with Lisa. Yeah, how did you connect? Maybe for our, our family friendly uh, portion of the episode. So I posted, um, I posted what I think was my most. Well, I posted a tweet that had lots of interaction and made several people very upset with me and um they called me bad names and um it you know I didn't like it I didn't like it at all I'd only been on Twitter for about a month and I had had a very clever tweet it was very clever and people swore at me and I hated it and so I did another tweet and I said, um, just, just because you all don't know me very well, one thing you should know about me is that I don't mind passionate um, disag- uh, disagreement or discussion, but I don't prefer if you, if you swear at me. That's not my favorite. <laughs> and I can't remember what Lisa said in reply to that tweet. I don't oh, think were at me just to make a point. I'm fairly sure she did not, but she, that was the first time I remember her commenting on any of my thing. And I remember, cause my friend Aaron was like, this immediately made me think of you, Lisa. <laughs> but, but just to be clear, Lisa has never sworn at me. No, I, I do like naughty words, but I rarely use them at people to be clear. Yes. But I do enjoy a good, a good F bomb. <laughs> Oh dear. Noted. I will be, I will be appropriate. I promise there will be no need to censor me during this podcast interview. I edit the episodes. We'll find out. Okay. (laughs) Edit things in. We're going to have our intro is going to be unnecessary uh, censorship. (laughs) Every word. We're not going to need necessary censorship because we're, um, we're good Christian kids. Right. Lisa, do you remember, do you remember any different stories than what Hector and I said? Is that like your basic? So I remember like the first time I remember meeting and I use quotation marks because it's all like virtual, right? Was on the WCT Christmas party. That's where I remember seeing Hector for the first time and just like falling in love with him. I just thought he was the best. He was so adorable. So I like immediately adopted him as my nephew at that point, or he didn't know, but that's what that was what my goal was for yeah. my new year's resolution and then sarah i believe the first time i remember interacting with you was galentine's day which is actually coming up put a oh. little shout out february i don't know what the date is i maybe i shouldn't do a shout out if i'm not very good at details but it's coming up ladies galentine's day is happening again but anyway yeah that's the first time i remember interacting with you sarah was at the galentine's day um event because that was kind of the first you had just joined i think at that point and we're brand spanking new to Twitter. At that well, point. I, I think at that point I hadn't been in any um, Zooms or anything up to that mm-hmm. point. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then through the DM, we obviously, our yeah. little DM fam jam got started end of January ish. Like I think we're up to our jam anniversary. <laughs> Um, in the next like few days, I think actually it was right at the end of January, it kind of officially kind of came together and it just kind of, sparked and went from there yeah yeah well i've enjoyed knowing you the feeling is very mutual for both of you i just want to say i mean 
let's let's be honest, right? Auntie Lisa and I have talked about. Uh, I just want people to know, like the way that they see, you know, Beth Moore's Auntie Beth. Like I see Lisa as Auntie Lisa, and mm, Hector. Uh, just you know, the plans to sit around, drink some scotch, and smoke Cigars. a cigar together. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, uh, that is on. I don't my feel like Auntie list. Beth would do that. Maybe that's what sets us apart. I'm like the like the <laughs> angel, and I'm like the devil aunt. Even with Sarah, so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll be clear. Sarah, Sarah, uh, Sarah doesn't know about that. Didn't know about that. We sprung that on her. Yeah, yeah. don't ask, don't tell, right? Yeah. No, I don't. There's nothing to. Oh, for Pete's sakes! Disclaimer: Disclaimer. Sarah did Sarah... not know that was about to happen. That was outside the lines. Sarah doesn't drink and Sarah doesn't smoke, and but she does run with those who do. Apparently, okay. On this episode, we are going to talk about some things that Lisa is um, very equipped to speak into, um, very well-trained and will be an incredible resource for anyone, for everyone. And we are so excited that she has this expertise to share with us, but it is going to address topics of abuse. And if that is something that is trigger triggering to you, um, this might not be the best episode for you. And it might be something that you might consider um, listening to on your own if, um, as opposed to with children. Um, However, we also want to know that before you turn this off, if this is one that's not good for you, um, that that if you find that you are in that situation and you need someone to support you, or if you need to reach out to someone for help, Lisa is a phenomenal contact. Um, and would love to connect with you and hear you and help you as any, any way she can. And Lisa, tell us your Twitter handle again, where they can get you. Yeah, for sure. It's at Lisa Congo on Twitter. And you're welcome to, to send me a DM. Um, yeah. Even if it's just to talk about your situation, recognizing not all people are at a place where they're ready to make decisions about what to do. So if you want a non-judgmental, judgmental, supportive place to talk through, like absolutely you can reach out and I'd love to help. And we'll have some resources as well in the show notes. So please, uh, if that is the situation you find yourself in, uh, look to the show notes. They'll be at the top before the episode description, uh, just so that they're easy to find. That's great. Thanks for doing that, you guys. I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Lisa, we so we we've already you mentioned that you are uh, running a, a women's shelter, and so we want to hear some of that um, that story because, to to my understanding, you were in a more traditional ministry role before, and now have stepped into a. Um, is it nonprofit? Is it, uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. Can yeah. you just tell us a little bit about that story? Sure. My superhero origin story. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, so I was, so my education is, uh, ministerial. So I have my bachelor's degree in Christian studies and my master's degree from seminary as well. My goal had been to be a pastor and was a pastor at a couple of different churches. And in the process, I mean, I'm sure you've had, you've had get, you had Beth on. So like being a woman pastor is not always the awesomest experience, especially when I was back doing it, it was way back 
I won't say how old I am, but it was back before there weren't a lot of us. That's what I'll say. Mm -hmm. And so it became really clear to me. I loved my church, still love that church and the people that serve there. So it didn't end in a contentious way at all. Um, But it became very clear that there was a ceiling on my leadership that I would ever be able to engage in there. Um, And I knew I had far greater capacity and calling than what my church had vision for, for women. And so it, you know, became clear to me, I either, you know, get to a point where I get bitter and hate this place, or I need to leave because they're not going to change as fast as I need them to change to be able to accomplish what I feel God's calling is for me. So um, I chose to leave at that time, still attended that church for years afterwards and went into um, the, the social work field in a number of different nonprofits, predominantly working with um, children um, and youth that were at risk. So I worked with uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters for years. And then I ran a boys and girls club in Calgary for years as well. And then uh, actually first day of lockdown, <laughs> I started in my role as the um, the director, the principal director of programs and operations at Sunshine Community Services, which is a second stage women's shelter here in Alberta, in, Can- in Calgary. And um, basically we have 24 suites that women and children who are escaping situations of domestic violence can come on site and have a year of wraparound supports and healing space um, to launch off into to their new lives out of, hopefully, out of the situations of violence that they've experienced in the past. And we also have uh, two other branches. We have day homes that we, so we have about 50 day homes that we support and uh, we give oversight and leadership to, as well as we have um, a a children's center. So we are the first um, trauma-informed child center in Canada, actually, I think in North America, but I feel we've from our sector search, we're, we're sure that we're the first one in Canada. So we've been in operation since 2015 with our children's center. So a lot of the families that we serve obviously are the children that live in residence. They're also community families um, that uh, you don't have to have experienced trauma to come and be a part of the community at Sunshine. But a lot of our families have experienced uh, trauma in some form and our most of our families are super vulnerable and uh, living with uh, low income issues or poverty issues as well. Well, that's awesome. That is, I'm wildly impressed with you all the time. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and, and so like, so that there were, there was a number of months that I was like, I want to talk to Lisa. I want to have Lisa on the podcast, but like our, our topic is very specific. And I was mm-hmm. like, how does, how does, I know that Lisa has a story. I know that there's a story. Where is that story? And like, I just waited because I thought like, if we just watch that story has got to come out because, because it does. Back at the end of uh, November, there we were on Twitter, and Beth Moore had posted about seeing a young woman who had um, who looked roughed up, mm-hmm. and that she had approached her and checked on her, and that her heart was just still, you could tell, just still hurting for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought at that, like, let's you know, in these, I asked Lisa, I said, in these sort of circumstances, what else can we do? What should we do? And you were able to give just incredible advice and thought as a result of that. Sort of wanted to go through that tweet thread 
I think I, I mean, just to start with the most, like the reason that I like commented on Beth's thread was, was there was a concern for me with how people step into being an ally and an advocate in a situation mm. like Beth had recommend or had described. Um, the impulse is wonderful. And of course, we want to see people become more and more um, because actually the default mode for a lot of people is just to ignore it and walk away and be like, that's awkward. I don't know if it's my place and walk away. So um, yeah, we don't want to, we want to encourage people to do that, but we all, I was like, Oh, I want to make sure people are equipped to do it well, because if you don't do it well, you could actually place um, that person at more risk than they currently are. Um, yeah, so that's why I kind of reached out and kind of shared some of my thoughts on it. Not to correct Beth, I think she did it the right way, to be clear, but other people moving forward, following that exemplar lead, I just wanted to make sure we were doing it well. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's that's great. And I, I've got that thread pulled up. And so I'll, I'll try and, and have it concise. We'll be in the show notes, but, sure. but essentially, you know, Lisa, you helped, I think in like seven tweets just gives some some very profound, concise, easy to follow advice of one, knowing that like intervening uh, and, and even just asking the question isn't, you know, a lot of people are scared of that. And like that takes a lot of, of bravery and, and even the way that we do that um, can impact how those conversations go. And then you you just started answering these things of like what else can be done? Carrying information. So like some of the information that we're going to include in the show notes, writing that on a card knowing your local shelters, right? Um, you you said the way that you carry this, if you give information to a woman that's in this situation, being very careful to make sure that the partner is not able to see and, and potentially even that they're not present in the situation um, because that often will will then just escalate a situation if, the, if there happens to be one there. And then really just thinking about the way that I think one of the later on in that thread, you give just the the wise words of you can't step in and make decisions because you enter into a complicated place where they're not able to make decisions for themselves often. And you don't want to enter into that same type of relationship. You want to be able to restore some dignity and restore some ownership and restore some decision making. And so mm -hmm. um can you can you speak a little bit more to that just in, in context with that thread? Sure. So, yeah, so having, you know, information readily available with you. So just having sheets of paper, even if you just write it down really quickly while you see something, um, but you have it available to you, either saved on your phone, maybe, or something like that, that you can slip it um, carefully to her, or if she goes to the restroom and it's a public restroom to not in a creepy way, but follow her in there and kind of leave that for her um, if possible. So being really careful and mindful about your surroundings and knowing whether where is the partner that you suspect is problematic. Um, and then also knowing where your exits are as well. So if we're talking about people who have violent tendencies, they're not going to necessarily enjoy somebody talking to their partner. Um, and so being aware of where your exits are and how to keep yourself because you don't help the situation if you endanger her or yourself in the process, right? So it's being really, you know, the, the, the Bible tells us to be as crafty as serpents and gentle as doves. So like being super aware of what's going on um, to handle that. And then 
if you are stepping into a relate a more involved relationship, so say it's somebody close to you, a friend or a family member, and you're going to, they've asked or they've initiated conversations and they're they're seeking out help. Um, probably the main thing I've learned is it's it's very, very difficult to allow um, these these individuals, um, I'll often say women, but it actually isn't just women. But if I do be aware, it's it's actually more than just women. But um, when you want to engage with these individuals, it's really difficult to let them be in the driver's seat often because they need to make a determination about what's best for them in their situation. And their decisions are not always what we would want their decisions to be. But to empower somebody who's been systematically, maybe generationally disempowered and had their voice taken away in choice, taken away from them, you will not solve that problem by further disempowering them and infantilizing them, right? So you need to be really mindful that you are, I'm here as a support. Whatever your decision is, I'm here. And I'll always be honest with you, but at the end of the day, you're in the driver's seat, right? And we're going with you on this journey and then offering the support that way. So yeah, I think it's that's a really difficult part of the journey because a lot of people in these situations are not ready to leave. You got to remember that they still have feelings, right? It's not cut and dry. It's not black and white. There's still somebody that they still have history with feelings with maybe love with children with and so it's not black and white they're all they're not often ready to entirely you know disrupt their life when you think it's important to do so so it's really about listening to if you're a believer listening to the holy spirit's guidance about what needs to be said in this situation and how do i support this individual one one of the things you mentioned in that thread that i hadn't thought about before, which I thought was a, was an excellent tip or whatever, was to, instead of giving your name and number or your email address, which just gives a lot of information if it falls in the mm-hmm. hands of the person who's doing the, who's abusing this person, it might put you at risk as well, but to find out if they have access to social media and then connect through that way. Yeah, I think if we're talking about social media, which obviously is the, you know, the the main uh, big focus of your your podcast. Yeah, social media has provided a really unique opportunity in situations like this for women that have that are very, very afraid, perhaps have reached out. I have worked with a number of women on social media, on Twitter, actually, since this in this last two years of the pandemic, people have been locked in with their abusers and social media is legitimately the only safe way they have for reaching out. Um, And so um, Twitter's, you know, Twitter, obviously in our context, but other social media platforms can be a really a safer way for them to make those initial first steps at reaching out to get some support and help. When, when I saw that thread, one of the things that, um, like it just, you know, we hear so much about how many ways that social media and the internet can be used to further abuse, to further trafficking, to further, to hide things and to get, to share things. And it is, it is definitely a very fair critique of the internet. and. To me, it was like just the darkest, the darkest place is where on the internet is where it would be used to mm-hmm. facilitate abuse. Yes. To think that the the internet, think that social media could be used to free those people, to 
to free up people was it just it just clicked something in my heart you know like there's there's so many bad critiques of the internet and that one is the worst of the worst and to think there are people who are who are using it in a way to free to free the captive you know yeah. i mean the the internet social media they're tools right you can use the tool for good or for bad the problem is this this particular tool is very unpoliced at this point it's very unregulated at this point um it's very accessible um and easy to access and use for and so it's like kind of giving a fully loaded pistol to like a four-year-old and saying have some fun, right? Like it's a, it, it could be a really dangerous and, 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 and people that want to use it to do harm, really there, it's quite difficult to put protective measures in place around those people, right? We've seen that even with some things, people that are harassing or posting really dangerous things on social media platforms, right? To actually get action taken against them to stop that can actually be really difficult to do because they can just create a whole new profile right and right. and be right back at it so but it's a tool um which means it doesn't have any inherent um virtue or vice right it's how mm -hmm. the individual person using it um attaches meaning to that yeah 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 well i think i mean for me my my mind and my heart immediately go towards what we believe as Christ followers, you know, that things can be redeemed, redeemable. And so to further that thought of critique of this tool is, yes, like, as you're saying, Sarah, it is a fair critique to say there are dark things happening. There are evil things happening. Let's just be honest, right? But to then say, but Jesus wants to shine in those places and use that same tool that was meant for e or, or is being used so that the, the purposes of using social media is meant for evil and redeem that space so that someone can then use it for good. And, and I, I don't want to, to misconstrue that, that scripture, but I, but I do want to say that like the opportunity is there for people to wield the same tool and to do good and to rather than in, to further enslave people, rather to to set them free and to give them hope and to give them a different way uh, than they they have currently. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that we also know, Lisa, is that social media can be used. You know, another critique is that um, you don't actually know someone's life just based on what they post. And so. Um, social media can actually be used as a way to cover abuse or to hide it, or, or it can be hidden behind the facade of a good feed. And so um, as we're looking at social media, as we're looking at people's posts, their interactions, their engagement, are there any specific things that you might have to note as like red flags of like, Hey, maybe someone, some, something's off with someone's posting or how you can just be aware of um, maybe facade. Does that question make sense? Yeah, I, I don't know because we've gotten really good at it, right? Like that's kind of like, that's, I mean, if we were all honest, that's kind of what attracts us to social media on some level too, right? The best, we can paint the best version of ourselves and we can curate 
the moments that people see of our lives, right? So that we're, you know, I'm showing a great selfie. I'm not saying it took me 16 tries to get the right light, the right angle where like the 500 chins don't show whatever, right? Like you can curate to show the best version. So I think it's um, in observing things in, uh, in longevity, right? So it's, it's a snapshot will very rarely tell you much doesn't not tell you stuff, but it's, it doesn't tell you a whole lot. It's really being able to pick up on the, um, the, the, the posts and the moments where, when that facade drops and people reach out. Cause I've seen that on Twitter a lot that people are really honest actually, but it often happens at these weird and you have to be on kind of to be able to catch it on the main line. Right. Cause it, it goes so quickly. So it's kind of having a sense of like, what's, how is this person tracking? And is there kind of a theme to the posts, right? Are they throwing out that they need help? Um, that they're, um, are they referencing things in, in their marriage, right? That they're having arguments or disagreements. Are they, yeah. Are they, I mean, I don't know how controversial we want to be, but if they're in a, in a complementarian or a patriarchal kind of context, right. I'd say, watch those people a little bit closer. I'm not going to get into the theology of that. I would just say in a perfect world, there all of these systems of structuring how we operate with each other would be great, but we don't live in that world. I think, you know, just sort of being available when people are asking and then I think the women that have reached out for me, this has always been the really humbling and actually scary thing. The women that have reached out for help that I've been able to support, it was because they saw the regularity of my posting, um, showing empathy, um, concern for um, survivors or victims, um, that I communicated safety consistently in, in what they had observed over the course of a number of weeks or months. So that's just a caution for us all. Like people are watching and some people that are in real need are looking for who their people of peace and safety are based. And so if we are somebody that has a spicier personality like myself. And if I'm constantly like raging against people, even if it's for the right things, I may not make people who have been injured by people using power inappropriately. I, I, I'm not sure that we will necessarily seem like safe person people for them, even if we're fighting on behalf of. So there's got to be a way of delivering and interacting with people, even people that we are disagreeing with in a way that consistently communicates peace, care, respect. Yeah. Again, even with people we really, really maybe actually disrespect and don't agree with, and I'm really frustrated with what they're posting. There's still a way to engage and people are watching that a lot, actually. Um, so victims are going to try to find people that are not going to be super over-emotional um, big reactors are inherently scary to somebody who's trying to leave um, a situation and needs somebody that can show, you know, common sense, clarity of thought, peaceful, calm demeanor, that kind of stuff. And you can see that over the longevity of somebody's posts and people are watching that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have a follow-up question. You've already said that the, like, it's not just women, um, that there are men in, that find themselves in these situations as well, but for for the sake of our context here today and in your context, you, you've talked about a lot of women who've reached out. And so as a, as a man um, who may be concerned, like, could you give just maybe a, a, a few quick precautions, tips of like, what do I do 
you know, as someone who might see something and doesn't like might not be the best thing for me to try to enter into that um, situation. Yeah, so I, I'm actually working with one of our um, WCT friends who's a guy who has a good friend of his who um, <clears throat> he and his wife have tracked with for years and she um, just let him know that she's in an abusive situation and needs some help. And he asked first, is it okay if I reach out to Lisa? Here's who Lisa is. Here's what she does. Um, are you okay if I reach out to her? So that's a big one is that survivors or victims in these situations, knowing who has this information and that they're not going to go, you know, you know, crazy and go call the police or something is really important to them. Right. So giving them again, it's about empowering, right? So uh, you know, would you like support or do you just want somebody to hear you and, and witness what you're going through? Like, I think that's a key piece. They may just want to talk to you, Hector, right? And they just want a safe place to kind of share what they're, and then um, there's opportunities in that to go, there's ways out, right? There's support. If and when you want that, um, let me know. I can help. And um, when they reach out and go, yes, I think I want to talk to somebody or I want out, then just go, hey, is it okay if, right, or here's the number, how about we call it together? Um, do you want to do it alone? Do you want to call it together? Um, but I would suggest, you know, if it's a woman who's been abused by men, um, yeah, reaching out to a, a friend, somebody that you trust, yeah, reaching out, um, calling a lot of the cities and in North America have 24 hour hotlines or shelter. They all, most of them all have shelters, reaching out to shelters and go, Hey, I'm dealing with a situation. Like, do you, is there, you know, like, what is the process even for helping somebody? If she was to call you, what would the process be? So arming yourself with information so that if, if and when they reach out because they're ready. And this is the thing that I think I've been learning is that there's these little windows when women are like ready, when their courage has been mustered and they're like ready to go. And often we're not ready with the information and the resources to, to maximize on that opportunity. And then it goes away really quickly, right? Mm -hmm. So arming yourself with information, what are the areas in your city or town who would you call, right? Reaching out to them and going, what is your process? So that you can give them some idea of what it would look like. So when you're going to call, they're going to ask you these questions, right? They're going to, you know, this, they're going to, you know, offer you these services. This is what it looks like so that you're removing some of the, the unknown that they're going to have to navigate, which can be really, right? Because staying in the hell that you know, is often preferable in these situations than going out to an unknown where you have no idea if it's going to be worse than the hell that you have. Right. So, yeah, I think it could be um, just arming yourself with information and then, yeah, reaching out to people that, you know, Hector in the community that could help you and stuff like that as well. Is part of your, part of that, um, like if you see, you see something that triggers a red flag for you, Hector, and you think, am I as a man okay to reach out to this woman or will it, will that in itself feel like a great, yeah. yeah. Dangerous, right? Like I don't, and, and part of that, like I, Lisa, I, I, I think my, the fear or, or maybe not fear, but just the reservation. Uh, re yes. Of like, am I going to escalate this and just make it worse? And, you know, you talk about like the window of courage, like, am I going to push someone away if I happen to see something or recognize something. But then I also think, as you were saying, um, like that's a great thing is to, to be well, like to have the tool belt, 
you know, of like, I'm going to do the hard work up front so that when you're ready, this is the door. Here it is. It kind of goes back to the idea. I mean, we're, we've all been in ministry in traditional ways, and, and we've probably heard the saying, right, from the pulpit, from a pulpit, probably have said it ourselves, that you cannot lead people where you have not gone. That's just a thought, I think, that, that in preparing for, I know the way, I may not know the situation, but I know the next step so that when you're ready, you don't have to think through that and use all the mental capacity energy, emotional capacity to try and figure that out for yourself. I think that that's actually really helpful for me. And I think, I think to the general community, uh, because I think there are a lot of, of good men out there who, who may, whether it's the culture, whether it's the, you know, lack of knowledge and, and how to proceed, but I think that would maybe err on the side of not doing anything rather than be like, trying to figure out how to step in. And I think there's a tension there, especially as for, for those who may be um, Christ followers and not even just Christ followers, but just for those who may be looking at this going, I don't want to contribute to the problem of abusive men. And, and I know that again, with the caveat that this happens on the other side, but I think that um, more often we hear about it from, from the women's side. And so just not wanting to, to become part of the problem or maybe that fear of like, I'm going to um, only perpetuate this, you know? Yeah. And I think it's, so just to address, yes, there is men, right. There are men that experience this absolutely, but yes, it's predominantly women, right. Yeah. That, that historically and presently um, are in these situations. And I actually, I feel for men, cause it's a really difficult time right now to figure out what is my role and what do I do in these situations and I would I mean this might seem like such a churchy answer but I would you know as Christians I would say trust the Holy Spirit right if God has is God is if God is provoking you about something or opening your eyes about something you are someone he wants to step into this does that mean you're going to be the person that walks that that woman through to the point of exiting and finding freedom from that or you were the person that helped be a conduit to connect her with the resources she needs and then they take it from there that's not a small role we I think in church we play such a we play such an oversized emphasis on the reaping part of somebody's journey, whether it's a faith journey or any kind of journey out of violence or other situations when being that you know a key point even if it's a small point at the right moment that like it changes trajectory and and allows that person to journey to freedom and redemption that's critical and valuable equally as valuable as the person that actually like gets to see that person find that like freedom right so um for men it really is about what you feel prompting from the holy spirit about and then i would also say we're not going to do this perfectly. Right. And so to, while these situations are grave and frankly, people's lives are on the line. So I don't want to like talk flippantly about like that, but the truth is we don't, we're not going to make the right calls all the time and that's okay. Right. And that I also would say, that's why I think ultimately it's great if we could get people in situations of abuse, whether that's family violence or church abuse, whatever it is to the people that actually have the expertise to properly support and walk, because there is a very particular 
pathology, for lack of a better word, about how they walk through this process that can be super confusing to people that don't work in it. And actually, that's when you can cause the harm. Why don't you just leave? Why didn't you leave? Why aren't you choosing this? Right. And it's like, we we need to be super careful about heaping shame on people, right? So handing them over to, supporting them into um, the people's hands who have the expertise to kind of properly walk them through and then being a supportive community around them, I think is huge. And like WCT has saved women's lives, right? Just to be, yay, Twitter, you know, people talk smack about social media. Like we've literally saved people's lives, like phone calls made at the moment that they were going to hang themselves, phone calls made at the time that they swallowed pills. Like we've literally changed people's lives. And so that's not a small thing. And it's not just virtual friendships. Like, yeah, it the platform is virtual, but the friendships are 100% genuine and real. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think when... Hector asked about like things to to look for. I did also think about, you know, we talked to to Kirk a while back about inviting or asking people if they need prayer. As I have done that, I've also seen like people are really quick to ask for deep, deep prayer for people who invite prayer. And I've seen that happening more and more often. Like people are asking, just asking their timeline, how can I pray for you? What can I pray for you about? And to be prepared that somebody might come with this request. Or if there are people who come and say, well, I have an unspoken. When when I have things that are like, when I get an unspoken request, I will often in that prayer, just pray that for this, the person's safety and the safety of those around them. And I will pray that community will come around them to help meet this need. And that like, if, if they need to speak it or if they, that they will find someone safe to speak it to. And so like, I can't assume that every unspoken prayer request, maybe the unspoken prayer request that I keep getting is for everybody's cats. I don't know, but, but I'm going to, I'm going to pray into it. Like it's like, it's a, a real, just deep hurting need. And I want to make sure that those people who come to me, you know, that I'm praying with them, as best I can. Yeah. And I would say too, it's, it's okay to like, yes, you may risk offending somebody, but going into somebody's DM and going, Hey, saw your prayer request, praying for you. If you want to talk or if there's something more going on, like I'm here. Right. And, and just putting that offer out as yeah. well, I think is, is valuable and they may not respond they, you know, that's fine too, right? It's really about the person who needs the support and not about how we feel about whether we were received or not in that. But I'd, I'd rather risk reaching out um, than not reaching out and finding out after the fact that that impulse to reach out was actually a prompting of the Holy Spirit and there was something going on, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, well, especially like the it can be a prompt of like, I just want to know that I'm seen, you know? And, and I think in the, uh, this is mostly speculation. And so I might be wrong in saying this, but, but the, the idea that you are in a situation, as Lisa, you've, you've put it, that like is hell. And you just want to know that like, does does anybody see this? Can anybody see this? Am I beyond someone being able to see or to care? And 
um, just the opportunity that is there to just say, hey, um, you don't have to go to detail. That's not, that's not what I'm looking for. But what I am looking to do is to let you know there's a door here. There's a chair here. There's a table that if you choose to sit down at, I'm right here. And just to, to know that somebody out there, anybody out there is, is willing to hear and to maybe, maybe do something about it and maybe care enough that like, um, that this isn't a situation, this isn't something that has to be, um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, you know, from my experience now working with lots of families with this and women uh, dealing with the situation and then <clears throat> for years working with children and family in all kinds of um, abuse situations, it's very isolating and very lonely, right? And you you think you're the only one. And so I will often post things that talk directly to an abuser right? Because they can't. And, and actually that's, you know, I get it. That's when I get the most comments in my DM with women reaching out going, that's exactly it. That's like it. When you are a person that's being systematically gaslit, right? So gaslighting great is to make somebody feel like their perception and understanding of what's normal, what reality is, what's actually happening, what the truth is, is actually not that, that they can't trust their intuition or their understanding of what's happening. When somebody has been systematically being gaslit for years, maybe even because this is a generational thing with domestic violence, even in their home when they were growing up, to have somebody parrot what you're thinking and feeling and what you would like to say to your abuser or describing your situation. And it helps you to go, oh, maybe I am perceiving this correctly. Maybe I'm not the only one. And while that's tragic that I'm not the only one, it's actually super reassuring that I'm not the only one, right? I'm not so broken that there's something I'm doing because that's the thing with victims of, of, of abuse in all of its forms is they believe that they've done something, right? To bring about that situation. And especially if it's like a, a lot of the women that I have worked with, they've not only been abused by this partner, but by previous partners and by dad and by uncles and by the community around them. And so they're, they're desperately going, what am I doing wrong? What is wrong about me? What's inherently broken in me that makes me, that makes me get into these situations. And I just had this conversation with somebody this week and it was like, nothing. You were never the problem. What the problem is, is that predators are good at reading the community and what they're looking for, because they don't want to get caught, is they're looking for a community that is disengaged from that person, right? That puts them at risk, right? So they're going to look for the victims where there's very few, you know, connections. Mom and dad seem, you know, disconnected and not involved. There's very, very little risk of their actions being found out and they're going to focus on them, right? And so when somebody is on social media and they see these like comments and these expressions of their experience, they start to realize it's not just me. There's actually a pathology. There's a routine. There's actually something else at play here and that it's not about me. It's really about what is going on in that abuser's life in the community around me. 
and it helps them to feel seen, which is a huge, huge thing. It's a huge uh, safety resiliency factor, actually, that they recognize that it's not just them and that they're not doing something because then they have more motivation to reach out and go, okay, if it's not me, I want out, right? If it's about that person, I need to get away from that person then. Lisa, I think you are the best, right? But you can't be the you can't be the only, right? There's got to be other. Do you know other people who have the heart you have and and the skills that you have? Do you know those people already, or should we say like if if you have this skill set, if you happen to be listening, and you have this skill set, like reach out, reach out to us, reach out to to Lisa because you guys would be an excellent connection. I I don't know. Um, and so, yeah, I would, I think that's a great thing. Like if you do have skills, expertise, connections, experience, like I think it, there's always inherent strength and, and safety if there is a group of people. So I've been in a, a couple of situations where we're walking with um, people in really, really dangerous situations, right? And it's not, I'm not making the decisions on my own, right? Yes, I bring the expertise of the work that I do, but we very thoughtfully built a community around that is aware of, and I'm vetting every decision, right? And, and interaction and, and situation through to make sure that we're we're better, we're better together. That's very true in this context. So if there are people that have resources, expertise and stuff, particularly on a social media platform, say like Twitter, yeah, it'd be great to have those people actively being able to work with each other and support each other to make sure that we're not missing things that, that say, Hector, as you interact with somebody, you're going, I'm getting a sense that there's an issue with this person, you know, who you could reach out to, right? There's this group of people, I'm going to reach out to them. And I'm going to, you know, start that process of getting support for that individual. And there's lots of situations that aren't even domestic violence. This is happening in as well, right? Like we're worried about this person's mental health, right? We're worried about this person's, you know, situation that's going on in their church. We're worried about, right? And there's this, you know, finding out who these people are would be huge, right? Because it's sharing the, the reach because yeah, there's a lot of, I think people would be surprised at how many people are in these situations and have no idea Yeah, because the victims get very good at covering it up, right? I think about that as, as it applies to just counseling in general as well. There are so many people who need, I mean, mental health diagnosis. I can't remember how I've exactly said this in the past, but this is mental health. A mental health diagnosis and treatment is a privilege. Like if you don't have insurance, how are you going to get that? And if you don't have insurance, how are you going to, I mean, the diagnosis and the treatment. And in a lot of circumstances, it's not just as simple as we'll just get the insurance and then get the stuff. Like it's, it's hard. And so if there were like, I wonder, I, this is when I say I watched, watched you to look for your story. Like I am watching Twitter to find where's the counselor who is available to people, you know, who is, um, who is, who sees this as a ministry, you know, who sees this as even not even as a ministry who sees this as pro bono things that they feel compelled to do, you know, mm-hmm. where are those people? And imagine the difference that we could make for people who have immediate needs to have experts 
Mm-hmm. Have trained professionals available to them. Yeah. Well, and the systems are incredibly difficult to navigate. So obviously I'm in Canada, so I have a Canadian context, but in the States as well and around the world, the systems of support tend to be quite difficult to navigate. So if you're struggling with a situation of trauma because of domestic violence or other abuse, or you have a mental health issue going on or a physical health situation going on, navigating the system to get to the right resources and support, frankly, the super cynic part of me believes they're set up to weed out, right? Because they don't have capacity to meet everybody's needs. So I think they're set up difficult to navigate out. And the people that end up disproportionately paying the price for that are the the very at risk and the very vulnerable. Um, And so, yeah, if there was like systems navigation, so people that have that have a mind that works around systems navigation, those are great people to start to identify, right? People that know people, the connectors, right? Like um, in Calgary, I have all of my, you know, the people I've worked with, my friends, my family, they know, hey, I'm looking for this, Lisa. Like, do you know anybody? Just because I happen to be a I gather people person. (laughs) And Mm so I send it out to my network and I don't actually know of a situation yet where we haven't been able to meet the need of somebody by the network kind of reach. And so if you're thinking about counselors, right? Counselors know other counselors in other states, in other countries, right? So a lot of this is just like navigating the systems to get the right person to the right um, source. And social media is huge. Like there's, if you think about each person in the potential network and context that they have, there really shouldn't be that many needs that we couldn't theoretically be able to help that person find a connection with. Um, it's just yeah. about figuring out who are the people that have that and who want to take, who want to intentionally take that on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lisa, so we've, we've talked a lot about kind of people observing and then being able to help. But, but I think one of the things we, we really do want to address is that there may be some people listening um, who are actually in these situations and who have potentially thought about using social media or um, hotlines or just the resources that are available to them. And so what, what would your advice be um, to someone who's considering, who is maybe mustering up that courage to reach out? Like, what are some tips that you would offer to them? Well, first, that makes me super tender, <laughs> I feel, for those people. Um, so first, like, you're loved, right? And you're valuable and you're worth it. So anyway, sorry, I don't know where that's coming from. It must be my Pfizer booster. <laughs> anyway, compose yourself, Congo. Okay. So yes, so if you are um, reaching out um, in a DM, so I would I would warn against potentially posting on the main thread because that could be that could put you at risk. So um, if there's somebody that you've been watching and maybe that's a place to start, watch some people watch their interactions with conflict on Twitter or on social media. Um, how do they handle people that disagree with them? Right, get a sense of whether you think they're a safe person or not. If you're the community that you're part of, which whichever platform it happens to be in. If you, if you, if there's people identified as being, so say on Twitter, you're always welcome to reach out, right? To me. Um, I definitely am not the person with all of the answers or the connections, but I have lots of people to reach out to. Um, so I'd say reach out there. And if you're um, yeah, if you're at the point where you want to, you want to open that up and risk letting somebody in, um, I think 
I think it's worth the risk um, of reaching out. You may not get the answers that you want, right? You may not get the response that you want, but keep trying. Um, not everybody is knows how to deal with these situations. And I think that's the sad part for me with victims is that there's so much responsibility. They have to they have to gather so much the courage they have to gather. None of us have a clue what that's like. We have no concept for what it feels like to have your life at risk and have to screw up your courage, reach out to somebody and have them say, I don't believe you. That's the risk that exists for people. So let me acknowledge that and, and say, I'm so sorry if that's happened for you as well. That's not the right response and keep trying. There are people that will say yes and I'm with you and I'm for you and let's figure this out. And yeah, like advocate for yourself, right? It's okay to have wants. It's okay to need things. And it's okay to say what you like and what you don't like. Um, your voice matters and you matter. So um, reaching out and that you matter and your children. So if there's children involved, right? Like it's, you need to reach out and keep trying because the sad thing is not everybody responds the way they should, right? But that's not a reflection on you. That's a reflection on whether that person's skilled or equipped or feels um, able to support, but keep reaching out. And if there is a shelter in your area, they have, um, most of them have somebody in a role that is outreach. So their whole focus is to engage with people that are in situations like you're finding yourself in. So they are equipped and skilled and knowledgeable for how to help you. And most shelters have undisclosed locations. The place that I work, we don't publicize our address. We're very careful with who's allowed to know our address for safety reasons. Ask lots of questions when you're on the phone. What does it look like? What is your shelter? Is it individual rooms? So whatever questions you have, you're ask those questions, you know, ask till you feel like you have a sense of of what you need. And I would say too, if you are in immediate danger, call 911, call 911, right? And get help. You don't have to be abused. You don't have to be injured. Ask for help. A lot of cities have a domestic violence focused unit of their police force. You could, as your own research, phone the non-emergency line for your city's police services and ask, do you have a domestic violence specific unit? And if they do ask for that number, and then work because these are police officers, social workers are attached to that as well, that um, have experience working with situations. So they know the dangers, the safeties, they understand the context that you're in and know how to offer you help in those situations. Well, before we move to our, our last two questions, our favorite two to ask everybody, I, I wanna say like, if, any, if there's any doubt that you are shepherding people, if there's any doubt that you are still in ministry like whoever would have that doubt is crazy like <laughs> this is ministry and this is uh, this is calling and so i think about there are people who listen to our podcast and they are former pastors and don't know how to how to apply they they've left this traditional role as you did and they don't know how to apply that they felt God speak to them that he has something that he's calling them to do. We have people who weren't pastors, but they have stepped away from that leadership and from the traditional church and the traditional way of doing ministry. And they are, they are working through what 
like, is there still room for like, what is doing ministry outside of the traditional model look like? And there are people who, who weren't in leadership and weren't, you know, in any kind of doing anything for the church before, but are just like, can I even like, there doesn't seem like I'm not going to be able to go in and do anything through my church. Like ministry doesn't have to be done through. I love, I love the church. I love the church. And I love both the church as a structure. And I love the church as the unified body of believers who proclaim Christ as Lord. So we are as the church, as the unified body of believers who all call Christ Lord, we are called to minister, to care for, to care for these people, to care for others and to, to do the work of God here, to do the work of the kingdom. And so when I see that you left this traditional role, like I want our people to hear like ministry is available to all. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that title is, it's not the end all be all. No, it's actually a, it's a spiritual gift. It was never meant to be a vocation, right? I'm not convinced. Let me clarify that. I'm not convinced it was ever meant to be a vocation, although there were always leaders in the church, right? It's a, it's a spiritual gift, pastoring and shepherding are spiritual gifts. And those can be expressed in the vocation of a pastor. I mean, I've said for decades now, I uh, feel like I, I've pastored more since I stopped being a pastor than I ever did as a pastor. And I'm not saying that's true for everybody, but for me, absolutely, clearly my gifting and my calling from God was never meant to be expressed inside of the church, institutional church context. Right. And um, so in my years of leadership in, in the social work field, had lots of interns and practicum students from different, a number from like Christian organizations that would come that were on like a youth pastor track or a pastor's track of schooling. And I would say here, let me just paint a picture for what your, the, the expression of your degree and what that could look like by not going in the church doors. And kind of my plea with them was there will, you know, there's always going to be church positions and opportunities to be a pastor in a church. People that get this, that are skilled at figuring out how to incarnate and be Jesus, you know, Christ present and visible um, in a secular context, those people are super rare. And if you, you know, if you have a calling to be a shepherd, consider what it would be like to be one of those, those people that steps out of that context and comes into, you know, uh, brings Christ into these, these situations and brings the very particular tool of redemption that we have, right? There's a lot of work happening in the social work sector that is brilliant and wonderful and actually looks no different than what church work looks like. There's very little difference, except there's these key pieces around. We have this word of salvation and redemption and grace, right? And we have a particular tool in our toolbox for that. And um, what would it be like to express your pastoring, shepherding heart in that context and bring that very spirit empowered tool to the table. And so, yeah, no ministry. Absolutely. You can be a pastor, right? Consider it a chaplaincy if that is what you need it to be, right? Be that in, I think, frankly, all believers are called to be the chaplains in whatever space that they're in. We are Christ visible and present in those contexts. What does it mean to serve and to minister and to shepherd the particular group of people that God has empowered to you?
pretty cool. Yeah. Well, Lisa, I just, I want to say to you, I'm listening to you today, being in, in uh, some group conversations with friends, but then also listening to you uh, recently on another podcast, Breakdown Job, and, and, and some insight there that you had. I just want to say that, Lisa, I'd be, I'd let you be my pastor any day. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I just, I'm so thankful for not just your, your, conviction around the scripture but but i want to to be clear the conviction of what it means to love people well Mm, thank you it uh yeah thank you that means a lot to me hector i appreciate that Thanks, guys. That was fun. Oh, wait, your last question. We have two more questions. You're not through with us yet. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, so so these two questions, we ask them every show. um, And really, it's because we know that that ministry is messy. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, this ministry is is uh, has its own unique challenges as we've talked through some of that today. but we, we know that there's hope for, just as you're talking about, uh, kind of in the same vein of there's other people that have wrestled through this, struggled with this, dealt with the the complexity of the situations that they're in. And so we like to hear the stories of maybe a time that it did not go well. Um, and I know that th- especially with this topic, that's, that's pretty sensitive. And so whatever you feel comfortable sharing with, um, as far as a time where, where either you tried to reach out or... Or you saw a situation happen where those uh, the different things that you've shared as far as uh, some helpful things, where that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, like ways I you know situations where I haven't done it well is like shooting fish in a barrel uh, a lot because <laughs> we're humans, right? And it's like we're not going to make the right calls all the time, and that's okay. Like God knows that, and He protects others and us from our mistakes if our intentions are pure right and frankly even if our intentions aren't pure he's still like radically gracious right and is committed to protection i think i haven't really noticed anybody doing it really poorly outside of what i think a lot of people have maybe seen like say on twitter on the main like where people are denying right that you know people's experiences are not true and 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 stuff like that those are not great examples but i haven't seen anything that's ever really made me question because the truth is like i don't see i don't see epic failure even in situations that didn't start off well right but god worked to bring about something important um i think for me one situation that you know um comes to mind i am a I'm a provocative personality by nature. So I enjoy agitating the status quo, especially not in general, not just for nothing. For me, it's always tied to advocacy for the vulnerable and the, you know, the people that don't have voice and stature and standing. I quite enjoy provoking those situations, provoking with questions and those inherently carry with themselves response that I have not you know, especially I, I think I've matured a lot in this, but for sure, when I started um, in social media stuff, it did not go well. And my attitude sucked. And the way that I did it wasn't wasn't right. My heart wasn't right. I saw them as the enemy instead of a potential ally that just 
it doesn't understand yet. And I think that's the shift for me that I made in my perspective is this could be, even if it's somebody who is like acting really trolly, right? That's got really often, there's a lot of hurt behind that. My focus has shifted to, if this person has been harmed, right, and is hurting, how do I honor that hurt? And then is there a possible way that that person now could become an ally? So when I'm interacting, I'm trying to engage with that perspective, but not that too far long ago, there was somebody that posted something that was very pedantic and oversimplified about medical uh, medical health. So um, if you have mental health issues, getting medication and counseling supports, basically this person had stated, you just need Jesus, right? I was in a particularly raw place with some things that some friends of mine were going through and I went in loaded for bear and called them stupid, <laughs> which was not a great start. And somebody else called me out on that publicly, which I'm fine with. I think if you're going to say something publicly, then you got to be willing to be corrected publicly as well. Um, and I think that's sometimes missing for people. They think they shouldn't receive the same pushback they give themselves. I think if you give, you got to get as well. And so I responded strongly back to this person that corrected me. And then that person responded, like I escalated the situation with that individual and got in a fight, right? Didn't need to get into fight, left that conversation going, okay, this isn't who I want to be. And there's something really seductive about the anonymity of sitting behind your screen that kind of makes you forget. Like I wouldn't talk to people in person like this, but there's something about sitting behind a screen that removes that catch. Um, and afterwards was like, this is not who I want. And then also now always more and more, always I'm thinking who, who is potentially somebody in a really bad situation that needs help that could be watching me blow off on somebody and act like a total jerk. Right. Um, and could that mean, oh, I was going to reach out, but Ooh, they seems uh, that she seems unsafe now. And I came back and publicly was like to this individual in that public thread, you know what? I think I was wrong. I don't think I was wrong in pushing back against the original post and the, the content of it and what I don't agree with but I didn't do it in an appropriate way. And I was wrong with my response. And I apologize. That wasn't right. And the individual is like, whoa, I don't think any I've ever seen anybody ever publicly ap apologize for their post. It just seems to escalate. And then he and I came back into, you know, and restored that. Um, the, the original poster, I don't know if they didn't check Twitter again forever. They never actually engaged in any of it. It was just between myself and this other person. But yeah, that did not go well. And I think that's where it was like, when you get a sense that you've dropped the ball, there is no shame in going back and saying, I dropped the ball. I did that wrong. I'm sorry. Can we try that again? And if there is shame, and frankly, that person may not respond. This person was super gracious and we were able to work that out. That's not always how it's received, right? But it's still right if you know you've done something wrong. Even if you haven't intentionally set out to harm somebody, but you find out you did, you still have a responsibility to own that and go, I'm so sorry. Let me fix this. How I'm, I apologize, right? And I'd love to see a lot more of that, frankly, right? There's a lot of public correction, public like, um, this isn't, you know, challenging people. It'd be great if there was more public oof, I didn't do that right. I need to say I'm sorry about that and working it out publicly so people can see that. Because if it's been done in a public context, while it may happen privately, 
I think it's healthy to have the public that saw that see that there's been some kind of resolution process to it. So in relation to helping people um, and not going well, yeah, that's actually that's going to happen inevitably and frequently in the process of supporting people because my impulses, my savior complex, my arrogance to think I know what's best for that person very frequently rears up. And again, it's the same thing to go back to that person humbly and go, I'm sorry, I didn't listen. I thought I knew best. I apologize. Let's start, like, let's try this again. And I'd say more often than not, people are very open to, people respond to humility and forgiveness requests with grace, I find. All right, so we never want to go out on a downer. (laughs) Which thankfully that one wasn't too much of a downer. It wasn't. It was a, it was a mediumer. Okay, so we want you to tell us about a time that you were ministering to people on the on the internet, and it went well. Um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of those as well. So, I mean, there's, yeah, there's. We've literally, I've been a part of in my two years on Twitter now. I've been a part of saving lives, like, and that's like that's not an exaggerate literally people's lives have been saved um so that's obviously a career and a personal high (laughs) to know that you know if if it wasn't for social media if it wasn't for twitter if it wasn't for that this group of people there are people that wouldn't be with us today because of that that's very inspiring and humbling as well because in the moment, it didn't feel like we were doing that. It We had no idea what was going on. We didn't know the right answers and we didn't know what steps to take. But God was super faithful. The Holy Spirit was incredibly present and very, very faithful. And so it's looking, you know, realizing after the fact that you can, you can sit back in it and enjoy the pleasure of God in those moments. That's delicious and there's no comparison people can say nice things but knowing that god is pleased with you is like the best feeling ever so yeah lots and i think posting a lot to speak out about the experience of people in a situation of family violence having people interact and go thank you i have a situation where i'm trying to be an ally seeing people i i feel like more and more i'm seeing people rise up who want to be safe and wise allies and that's amazing because we i'd love to be out of a job i would love to have to close down sunshine stores cuz there's literally no need for it anymore that will not happen unless allies rise up right because there's it's it's such a unique and labor intensive journey with each individual person who is coming out of a situation of domestic violence there is no one organization one person that could possibly do that work it really is going to require allies standing up and going i don't know but i love you i care about you and let's go try to find help for together and you're not alone on the journey that's what it's going to take and i see more and more people stepping up that way and so and every post that i do i feel like that not that I'm generating that, but that those posts are like really, really helpful and people. And then also the, the, the individuals reaching out um, in DMs to go, I'm in that situation, or I'm just out of a situation of domestic violence. Thank you. I felt seen. There's a number of those, but then also hearing from the survivors themselves 
feel empowered. That's when I feel like I've like won is when I go, here's a situation, right? Here's what you, we may not understand about a victim's experience, right? Or survivor's experience. And then having comment after comment. And there's lots of people, lots of women on uh, on Twitter that have recently within the last like three to four, six months, eight months, month have escaped these situations going, yes, here's what I experienced. Here's and they then make these connections to other women that have a similar experience of uh, trauma and coming out of a situation. Those are big wins, right? To to have people feel seen and a part of a community and brave and empowered to to share their journey boldly and without shame is amazing. Lisa, say your Twitter handle again. At Lisa Congo. So and Congo is C-O-N-G-O, like the country. Okay. So we will have resources in the show notes. Anybody can check out, reach out to Lisa. I was wondering, Lisa, um, this isn't in our in our <laughs> our document that we go from, but would you just take a minute? and pray for people in this situation, for survivors, and for those who would want to come around to support them. Yeah, are you okay with crying? <laughs> yes, are you okay with us crying? Yes. Okay, excellent. I feel like crying is a community event for me, so. Yeah. yeah. God, we just thank you that you are, you are the shepherd that seeks after the, the one who has lost. And I think a lot of people in situations where um, they feel imprisoned by the community or the relationships around them feel like they are completely disconnected and uh that those those lost lambs that's the picture i have is that you are constantly looking and seeking after them and god i just pray for your protection over people in situations where their their personal voice and choice and and agency is has been systematically taken away from them. I pray that you would protect them. I pray that they would as their sense of worth and and value as a human has been literally beaten out of them sometimes God. I pray that you would that they would hear your voice and the voice that saying a lullaby over them at the moment of their creation and you haven't stopped singing it for them since i pray they would hear that and that you would continue to raise up the people that would be allies that when they reach out they would be received and believed oh that's a big one i pray especially in the church community god that we would receive and believe the people that reach out and disclose that they are in a situation of abuse and I pray for the people that are walking with them, for the family members and the friends and the professionals. I pray that you would give them sustained energy and wisdom. James tells us if any of us is lacking in wisdom, that you'll give it to us and you'll be generous with that. And so we need your wisdom because each individual person's journey is completely unique. And what worked with one person doesn't necessarily work with the other. So we need your guidance and your direction for how to move forward. And um, thank you that you redeem and that these situations are horrible. And there's many, many times when we scratch our head and we wonder, where are you, God, and what are you doing? Thank you that you redeem and that you don't let us experience this and just leave it, that you redeem. And yeah, I pray for freedom 
for the captives, God, in all of the contexts and situations that they exist. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you give us who journey with them the opportunity to do that. It's a great honor and a gift. And uh, yeah, keep us all safe. And uh, thank you for your love. In your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 <laughs> thank you, Lisa. Yeah. Thank you. That was a good way to end the week. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa, thank you so much. Um, I think, uh, no, uh, to, to really, I've, I've been reflecting a lot on ministry on social media and I am so thankful uh, just to, to continue to hear. And I will probably say this for every single episode, every single conversation, but to just continually be reminded that, that the Lord cares for the people who, to be honest, and even in some of my own life, like social media has been a godsend because mm -hmm. of the people there. Mm -hmm. um, Me too. And uh, to just be reminded that not only is it a place for community, for real community, because that's undeniable, uh, but it is a place that real ministry moment to moment happens. And as you're praying, to, just to, to remember that the Lord cares for it. Mm -hmm. It is not outside of his, his purview. It's not outside of, of the things that he has his mind on. And it's not too busy, too fast, too chaotic, too out there. You know, we, we mentioned in, in the top of the episode that um, social media is, is a lot of, it's unregulated, but that doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't see it and the Lord doesn't work in it and the Lord can't mm -hmm. see the hidden things. And so um, thank you. Thank you for your time today. Sarah, anything else you got today? No, it's good that the Lord's moving and it's good that his people are going with him. Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Well, hey, thank you all so much for joining us for another week of the Pocket Pulpit. If you're like me, you're going to go sit in a, a corner, reflect, and uh, weep uh, with the the um, the utmost mixture of grief and joy and hope, um, just in the Lord and and the, the way that He works. And so, um, thank you so much for joining us on this journey. Um, once again, resources that we talked about, uh, resources that are available um, are going to be in the show notes. Um, please, if, if these are, are helpful, they're going to be right at the top so that it's not hard to find. Um, if you need to reach out, um, Lisa, um, at Lisa Congo, um, if if you need to reach out to us, we can, we can help connect you. And then we mentioned it earlier, but if you are someone who, who wants to be part of a network, please reach out to us and, and we can create a, a form if that's helpful. Um, thank you for listening and um, pray that this week um, 
you'll just continue to see the Lord working in spaces physical uh, and spaces online. All right? We'll see ya.